0: This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm Ray Harkins, and I'm tired really tired because I'm getting over a sickness, a sinus infection. This was the longest I was ever sick and it, it sucks. I know that's kind of an obvious thing to say, being sick sucks, but it demolished me. So I'm just now kind of getting out of that and I'm ready to hang out again in real life. So fortunately, I was able to record a lot of these conversations I was having in advance so I wasn't sick and getting other people sick. But anyways, enough of that. First of all, thank you to those of you who donated to the fundraising campaign that we had going on in May. Uh, you know, A few of you decided to pony up the month-to-month cash, and I really, really appreciate that. Uh, for those of you that maybe missed out on that, it, it's, it's ongoing. So uh, you can visit Patreon, dot com backslash XPurposeX, and you'll be able to find some cool rewards there. I'm giving stickers, buttons... You can potentially be a future guest on the show. There's a bunch of fun stuff on there, so you can contribute there. But those of you that contributed, I will start to get the reward stuff to you this month, and you'll start to notice plugs as far as like the promises that I gave. You'll start to notice those in the next couple episodes. So thank you. Let's get another order of business out of the way. I haven't even mentioned the guest, right? That's kind of silly. So this month is a themed month. And when I say themed, it's a loose theme, but basically the entire month of June is dedicated to what I define as uh, sort of legendary luminaries, people who are pioneers within the context of punk and hardcore people that have done some really, really cool stuff. And uh, it just happens to be that I all interviewed them and it all kind of syncs up to where they all run this month. So Rob Moran, he is the bassist for Unbroken. He also plays in a band called Narrows. He also played in Some Girls and Over My Dead Body. Basically, he's done a ton of stuff. Also played in Kill Holiday, recently done some reunion shows. I don't think he's played in those, but anyways, that's beside the point. But... Rob has been very, very active for a long time within independent music and it was awesome to speak to him, but more on him in a minute. Here's some business stuff. So the show will always be free, but the trade-off is occasionally I'll ask you to do some stuff. This is one of those times. There is a survey. Podcasting is such a new medium. People are trying to figure out how to make money off of it. People are trying to figure out ways to work with other companies on this stuff. So what I'm trying to do is get a survey. You will answer a few questions. I want to say it's like seven or eight questions. You will be entered to win a $100 gift card from Amazon if you randomly get picked by this company that's doing the survey. So visit podsurvey.com slash words. What that does is it makes the show look good. It asks you some simple questions and that's it. It'll take less than five minutes. I took the survey myself and it was very fun. It just kind of, you know, asks you what you like and if you like podcasts. So do that, please. And like I said, $100, chance to win that. It's awesome. Visit the website of the show, which is 100wordspodcast.com. You can email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I've had some awesome interactions with people recently saying, hey, I've listened to the show for over a year and now I'm emailing you. I fucking love that. When I don't hear from people in general – I you know I, I need feedback. I always need feedback. I'm a very needy person. And for those of you people who are regularly checking out the show, email me. Let's get in touch. Let's talk about what you liked about a show, what you didn't like, all that sort of stuff. Anyways, so let's talk about Rob. Rob Moran, I've known him for a long time. And Unbroken, to me, was such an important band for my musical upbringing. And it just opened my eyes to what emotion is in music. And I know that sounds like a very grandiose statement, but still to this day, one of the top five shows I've ever been to in my entire life is in 1997 when Unbroken did a reunion show in honor of the guitarist of the band who committed suicide. And it was a very tragic event because he obviously decided to take his own life. And this was a benefit for his family and the memory of him. I mean, there's like over a thousand people there. It was a great night for just the music in general. But I'll never forget when the singer of Unbroken asked for a moment of silence and 1,000 some odd people. I've never heard a room that quiet, even with like four people in it. It was so unbelievable. You know, you kind of expect some jackass to be like, woohoo, or something stupid. But it was just so unbelievable. Like right now, as I'm sitting here, I'm getting goosebumps because of that moment. And it still lives on. And this is 97. This is years and years and years later. And it still lives with me. So anyways, Rob was gracious enough to invite me over to his house to discuss a lot of cool things like, you know, time as a resource and being a minority in independent music because not a lot of us have that experience because i mean i'm a white dude there's a ton of white dudes at shows and so rob's perspective is very interesting so without further ado here is rob i will speak to you afterwards In your teenage years and you're expressing all these emotions and you're putting so much out there and then it's like being expected to be accountable for all of that stuff when you're expressing like yeah it's it's hard to reconcile that as you grow older where you're just like yeah it like yeah like i mean i meant that at the time and it's still meaningful to me exactly but the the levels of interpretation that people take from it like i mean you can't control that
1: yeah exactly i mean that's the same thing i mean you think about like the people that were just listening to those things, they had certain convictions or certain feelings about how the world is supposed to be in their eyes. And as when you grow older... That stuff changes, but it was never documented anywhere. There wasn't right, totally. There wasn't Instagram, Facebook, very, Twitter, very MySpace, important point, yeah, yeah. And or you didn't put a record out or a demo, and you were just a someone who. Yeah. It's still important that you were part of that scene, but you didn't have any documentation of your convictions or feelings or, or
0: right. You're, so ch- yeah. you're changing opinions. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's, so you're
1: you're changing opinions without having to have it documented. Yeah, everyone else is like. This is who we are, and you right. know I'm 19, 20 years old, and this is the way the world is supposed to be. In some aspects, I, I agree with exactly what you just said. I mean, it's stuff is still meaningful and it's still important on some level, but it's not my life.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And what I've noticed too, it's like especially within the context of being involved in you know the DIY independent mm-hmm. music community, it's like when I mean, and you can even do you know extrapolate it into like a larger you know whatever. Movies and all that sort yes. of stuff. Once you put it out there to the general public, like you, you, you can't take you. Don't, you don't take any ownership of it, no. Because it, it's at, it's out in the world. Other people are going to do what they want with it, yeah. And your original intention of it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, it goes from being your art to our art. Like, yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what happens. I mean, it's you have this idea of like this is what it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. and unless you decide to take the route of like, well, I'm just never gonna talk about it and it's so vague and i don't care what you think because i know what it really means you never stake put a stake in the ground and say this is what this art means to me whether it's music or film or drawings whatever and if you never do give an interview and and actually convey no this is what it's supposed to mean then you know that's the only way you can really keep it
0: right yeah that's the only way that you can like at least, uh, you know, control the conversation around it. Yeah. Like, because otherwise, uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. When you're being cagey about it and intentionally cagey because you're trying to control that. Yeah. It, yeah. That's that's when it that's when it becomes the public starts to perceive where it's like, oh, that person's like difficult or like I don't like they seem like a dick or like whatever. There's yeah, all those yeah, implications yeah. that get put yeah. on that.
1: But maybe they just don't want to convey anything. They just know what it means to them, and and that's good enough for them. And, right. and Whatever people decide to take from bits and pieces of the art mm-hmm. um, or the music or whatever. And some people are really good at being at that way. I mean, I am i can be vague in some sense and other aspects. It's like, no, I want to talk about, like, what I said or... Right, or I want to address this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't I have any problem addressing it. And other people want nothing to do with addressing anything. And just, <laughs> like, I don't care what people say. And,
0: right, right, right. right. So. Well, that's one, one of your favorite artists of all time. Like, Morrissey is obviously at this point in his career now where it's like he... he he says everything to provoke a reaction. Yeah. Like, and and it's just so funny because it's like, at this point, no one should be surprised over anything he says. No. But they are.
1: But, yeah, people are like, I can't believe he said that about the, the, the massacre in, in, in Denmark. Or like, he said this about, you know, Asian countries. And right. it's just kind of like he's, I don't know, it almost feels like he's just kind of lost in this, like, music limbo. And that's one way to keep his... Name and I sure. don't know if he does it out of the the <clears throat> need to feel relevant because sure. he, he's will always be relevant. So right, he doesn't need to say these things. So I don't know why he does. Anyway. Yeah, no,
0: it's. It, I mean, it's true. Yeah, to 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 say these things to provoke a reaction to get people to talk about him, which will obviously pay to like get people who might not pay attention to him. Yeah, I mean, just as a musician in general. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's. But people do regardless, so right? It's yeah. like You're I mean, right. he, he right. can
1: at this point he can sneeze and people will pay attention to yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah, Oh, he's sick. He's oh, an icon. Wrong? You're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, and that's it's true. I mean, even when he he was sick and having to cancel shows, I yeah. Mean, it was a huge deal. Like, oh, is yeah. he dying? Why is he canceling? He can't sing. Like, right. he's in the hospital for five days. Like, what's going on? The band and crew are sick. Like, yeah. does everyone have this crazy virus? Like, what is going on? You know, and that's. He is so iconic at this point. He can literally be sick and it makes the news. Of like, course. And so, and I get that maybe he just feels like, hey, I don't care. These are my opinions and I'm going to express them. And, and maybe that's just him as an artist saying fine. Right. You know, I, I hadn't said anything for twenty five years. Now I feel like talking about everything. Right. Yeah. You're maybe long. that's his new art. I don't know.
0: Right. Right. Maybe it's just. Yeah. Maybe it's just like it's entertaining to him to put stuff out there to be like, let's see how far this can go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know. <laughs>
0: um, so you you yourself like my mm. my own personal introduction to you and inter- interaction was uh, yeah I mean is I was. At the tail end of when Unbroken was originally around, I didn't see you guys because it's like I started going to shows when I was about like 16, so it was like 96 or so. Yeah. Um, so by that time, you guys, because you guys played your final shows in like 95-ish? Or? 95, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. November, like the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Okay. Like or the Friday and Saturday after Got Thanksgiving. It. Yeah, we did our shows.
0: Right. And so my first interaction with you was obviously, you know, after you guys had broken up, but then the, uh, you know, reunion show that you did at the, uh, was it San Bernardino? San Bernardino Arena. The arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Whether it was like a time and a place for me personally, but it was just, it's still one of those sh- like, you know, if I were to be like top 10 shows of all time, it's like yeah. 100% there. And yeah. I think it's just so weird because almost anybody that you talked to that was at that show probably shares that opinion. Yeah. It was emotionally charged. It was, you know, meaningful to everybody that was involved. Like, every band meant something to you guys. Yeah. Is it, is it funny for you to have all of the these memories kind of flood back every time someone brings up, <laughs> like, that sort of show? Yeah, always. I mean, especially that show in particular. I mean, we we did it for Eric's
1: family. I right. Mean, all the money went to Eric's family and, you know, paid for some funeral things and also paid for a bench in Valboa Park mm-hmm. uh, with his name on Oh, it. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know about
0: the bench. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: there's a... Um, across from the space theater there's a bridge and mm. um like a flower and rose garden and things like wow, that that's so awesome. yeah there's a, a bench over there
0: at the park did you guys have any expectations like of what this could be and like i just i, I would have a hard time believing that you guys obviously had that sort of sense of like this no. is gonna be fucking huge like no you're just being, this because is originally special.
1: it was just gonna be at the showcase, showcase right and Izot was like I don't think this is a good idea like you guys would have to do he basically was we had no concept right. none of us did <laughs> Okay. Because okay. I, I was like I don't know let's just do it at the showcase because <laughs> that seems about appropriate and right. we can raise enough that money that seems comfortable right yeah and like Ezot um, was like I don't know just judging by your last shows like and you know there's a buzz like I think maybe we should step it up and if it doesn't work out we can move it back to the showcase and right I was like, well, you know better than I do. Like, I'm comfortable. I only think there's going to be about five to six hundred kids. Like, right. so. She's like, on, on a good
0: day. Yeah. That's what I think we would Yeah, be. and yeah. that's what we
1: thought, like, was going to happen. And right. he's like, well, let's just try it and see. And he's, and then pre-sale happened. He's like, I've already sold 800 tickets. Like, pre-sale. And we were just like, oh, my God. Like, this is crazy. Right. And we knew it wasn't just us. We knew people were stoked to see, you know, Outspoken. People were stoked to see, right. you know, Crimson Curse. and. And so we knew that there was kind of a
0: And it, it, I mean obviously it felt like an event but it was uh, yeah still I don't think I don't think anybody could have looked at that looked at what it became yeah <laughs> to what the expectations were Yeah
1: I mean the expectations were like hopefully we can get like 5 to 600 kids right. and it'll be a fun time and we'll raise some money and, and we were apprehensive to do it as well cuz it was like how do we do this without Eric and right you know and talking to his family his mom and his brother at the time were very, like, no, let's do this. Like, his mom especially was like, I want to feel, like, what it was like. And this is the closest thing that I'm ever going to get. And so it right. was really emotional. Yeah, it was... Uh,
0: she, I presume she was there? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, his brother and, you know, sister-in-law, like, everyone was there. And sure. Yeah, so it was really tough um, to even have the conversation to do the show without him it was very hard and you know people were you know especially close friends at the time people were just and some people are still this way it's not unbroken without eric and it's like well there was five people in the band and and anytime we do something you know even the shows that we've done later on we've always been really careful about like what we do and why we do it and where it goes to and right is it a benefit and that's always our main thing in doing any of these shows and this was no different. It was the first one and we didn't think after we did this anything would ever happen again. Oh, I totally. <laughs> so yeah playing the show and and looking over and seeing Eric's mom and his brother and you know my brother and you know just the really close friends that were part of it I mean it was just really strange to yeah I'm sure it was like an
0: out of body experience
1: it really was I mean I was I was numb for the first three or four songs like I was just like when Dave was like let's have a moment of silence and you didn't hear no dude even watching that video yes that (laughs) was that our friend John Witten had put together yeah I mean we were just like, this is crazy. Like, totally. I, cause I don't remember anything. It was just so numb. Yep. Uh, I remember all of us like backstage, like talking and like just being terrified, like how right. it was going to go.
0: And because of the, the circumstances in which everyone was gathered, I, I really can't recall like a sort of, uh, like it felt like a celebration and it mm-hmm. felt like everybody was there for the right reasons. And everybody, like, it was like such a level of respect of yeah. having that many people in one place. Yes. Like, it's
1: so weird. I think there was, like 1500 paid people, <laughs> which is insane. Yeah, 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 it was crazy. And, and I, yeah, I think the place, you know, I think it held like 1600, people, and right, yeah, it was, it was nuts. And, I mean, yeah, and that's exactly it. It was just that. That level of respect that everyone showed us and Eric's family. And totally. It was, that you're not going to have. Blowing.
0: Right, that you're not going to have some boner kid in the back. Let's have a moment of silence and be like, oh, like. Yeah, oh, fuck you. Do or, yeah, you something. Yeah, something it, dumb. And... Totally. I was just, it, it was, you know, even at yeah. my, because it's whatever, I was like 17, 18, and like having, just like being aware of that and being like, Wow! Like this is something special, you know. Yeah, it's just so funny because it's like you know you can look like I'm 33 years old now, and like when I go to a show now, um, I am I'm very particular about what I go to because it's like you know my. As you grow older, you obviously have the idea where it's like, okay, like my time is precious and valuable. Like I'm not just going to go to a show just to go to a show. Yeah. And so, like when I go to something, I want to have like an experience in some capacity, mm-hmm. um, whether or not it's just like something intimate or whether it's like a huge show. Yeah. Um, and so, like it's it's been difficult to like replicate that sort of that that feeling that that show evoked, in like not only myself but everybody that attended. And so, I don't mean to belabor the point, but it was just one of those yeah. things where it's like it just I hope that that most people have that sort of experience in watching a live concert or show, whatever yeah. they want it. Like it's just such a it's a rare thing. Yeah, to like bottle it up and be like, this is what it is.
1: Yeah, I, that's how I felt when uh, when negative approach first came back, and they and Todd Tyler, like the show got canceled at the Glass House with them and Big Business and the Melvins, right. and Todd Tyler was somehow able to finagle a VFW. Hall show and it was negative approach, first show ever in California. Right. Like ever. I mean they broke up on tour before they got here in like eighty two, eighty three. <laughs> right, whatever. right, right. And I remember just freaking out and, and talking to John Brennan like before the show and um, just hearing his thoughts, like this is exactly what it would have been like. We were playing VFW halls and Eagles clubs and yeah. wherever know, wherever, wherever, we wherever we could, like your typical punk rock hall in the eighties and right. And he's like, we're, we can't believe we're finally here and we're playing a hall that we would have played in the in the 80s. And it just like gave me this feeling like, wow, we're about to see something ridiculous. And, right. And it was. To this day, it was the best show I've ever been to in my entire life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and that was in what, 2009, 2010 or yeah, whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the best show I ever, I, I've ever seen ever of any genre of anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was an out-of-body experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just remember seeing red and losing my mind and going crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was magic. And to have that feeling, totally. um, you know, after like my, I went to my first show in September 86, roughly right, um, in the summer of 86. And so to be this far along and still be able to get that feeling, <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's magical. And like you, I feel the same way. I mean, i can 't go to every show because I just have so many things going on
0: of and course it's like la, 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 life fills up and yeah. it's not you 're not going to be able to go to three or four shows a week you 're yeah. lucky to go to like you know maybe one or two a month if yeah if i 'm lucky right totally <laughs> totally totally yeah, I
1: mean last week, I really wanted to go see Helmsley and Russian circles and some other oh, stuff, yeah. but you know, I'm in the middle of doing all kinds of things right now. And I I had to text these guys and I was like, I'm sorry, I can't make the show. I just have too much going on today. Totally. Like, I mean, it, it's crazy. Yeah, it's a reality. Right, right, Yeah, right, right. you know, and it's like they're friends and bands that I really enjoy. So right. it's, you know, a bummer to not be able to make it. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's tough. And totally, so, totally. Yeah, when I go into a show, I have to like literally put it in the calendar and yep. plan things out. Totally. Like, Months in advance. Totally. Like, I can't just, like, oh, so-and-so's in town. Like, yeah, like, you know, Infest and Crudos were were playing the Shea Cafe a couple weeks ago. And it was, like, I was flying back from San Francisco that day. And I was, like... I can't make this. I can't make it. Like, I I got in that afternoon and I was, like, ah, like, forget it. Like, I'm just going home. Like, I was just exhausted. And I was, like... I love both bands, but also I, I saw them... Right, right. Like, Crudo six or seven times, in that, you know. Yeah, when yeah. They were Like around I've, it. Right, I've and seen Infest, I saw a million times when I was a kid, and I love both bands, and I would love to see them. But I was like, ah, oh, like
0: right, right. I you just have...
1: I don't have the time. Like, totally, you have to you it. have
0: to you have to pick you have to pick what's obviously because yeah. it's not a matter of, of of growing old. It's just like I said, it's the the time the yeah. time that it takes, where it's just like yeah. I know that if I do this. I want to be worthless for the next, like, two or three days. Yeah. And, like, to these things that are important to me as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: and I, you
0: know, it, it, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. about prioritizing. Yeah. Because um, you, so you yourself, you were born and raised in San, in the Chula Vista, San Diego yeah, area? Yeah, San Diego, yeah. Born okay. and raised here. And the, uh, what was your family structure like as you were growing up? Because your brother, your brother, Adi, is younger than you, right? Yeah, he's three and a half years younger. Okay, so right? and you were the eldest? So yeah, it's yeah, season. it's
1: just us two. Yeah, so just me and my brother, my mom and my dad, and... You know, we grew up pretty poor. Uh-huh. Um, Where were your parents even for work? My dad was just, like, construction guy. Sure. Um, you know, he had rent, You know, doing tile work and okay. doing block walls and sure. cement driveways and, and that type of thing. He just ran his own handyman stuff. And oh, nice. Got right. work when it was available. And then when he wasn't working, he would just, like, kind of do stuff around the house. and Right. Um, my mom was a cashier. Okay. Um at a grocery store sure. for a long time.
0: Working class family.
1: Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, yeah, and we just kind of moved around a bit and then moved um, uh, to, to this house that mm-hmm. we're in now, uh, moved here in uh, like the mid-80s, okay. like 85, 86. I was, might, might have been 84 because I started going to elementary school across the street. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we just kind of moved around and then eventually settled into this house and uh-huh. yeah, so it was just you know working um, class like not
0: what, what sort of what sort of kid did you did you find yourself being like you know did you find yourself gravitating towards sports like did you you know like what what were what were you starting yeah, to get into I
1: mean it was instantly music really like instantly the only things only sport I liked I loved soccer growing up and uh-huh. it's the only sport I still enjoy still fall, today. Right. Um, and, and football, basketball, baseball, like, yeah, I played with my friends, you know, on the playground and whatever, but it wasn't really my thing. I mean, mm-hmm. my thing, I was obsessed with music when I was a kid. Um, I had a cousin. He's about seven, eight years, about seven years older than me. Uh, the cool uh, cousin. Cool cousin. Yeah, yeah, And, you know, we'd go to my aunt and uncle's house, and he had records in his room, you know, like ACDC and Rush and, you know, all these records and, yeah. and, and
0: Kiss and... I always love, I just, I love that, like, when you do have that sort of, like, the- it usually is, like, the cool cousin, where it's just, like, you feel like they open Pandora's box and just, like, yeah. let you in the room, and they're just, like, look what I got here, and you're yeah, like, yeah. what is all this?
1: Yeah, what are these records? Like, I didn't know what it was, and right, you know, the kind right. of music, and I remember just listening to ACDC and just being, like, this is awesome, yeah. this is, like, you know, and I was, like, super into that, and then um, I... <laughs> And I was, you know, I was about six, seven years old. And then um, in 79, Kiss was coming to San Diego. It was the Dynasty tour. Um, And my cousin was like 15, 16, Uh something like that. And his parents didn't want him to go. And my dad was like, well, I'll chaperone him. Like, if you guys want, like, We'll make this a family thing. Yeah, Yeah, like, we'll go. And I had no idea I was even going to the show. My dad told me we were going to a San Diego's Clipper game of basketball team. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, like, all sure. right, sure. And so we get there and I see people painted like Kiss. And I, I totally remember this. Like, why are people painted like Kiss? And my dad was like, you haven't figured it out. And we get into, you know, the San Diego Sports Arena and there's this, like, wall of merch And I was like, what the heck? I I just remember my mind exploding like, oh my God. I'm not even at the show. This is insane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was just like freaking out. (laughs) And and so, you know, and then I got to see Kiss. And I was seven years old. That was my first show. Um, And I was just hooked on music i yeah. was like i want to you know learn how to play music okay and so
0: yeah that was the immediate, was step, the immediate like, okay. step
1: like i want to learn how to play music and you know so then when i got a little bit older like my parents saved up some money and got me drum lessons nice um and there was a neighbor drum lessons not guitar lessons they went yeah to the, drum was, lessons was drum i you... wanted to be a drummer because okay. i love peter chris and okay <laughs> so the next door neighbor Needed, um, a bunch of tile work done and a block wall built, okay. And my dad was like, well, if I do that and he, the guy worked for a music distribution company. Oh, dude, bartering. That's yeah. It. So my dad was like, if I do this, you know, will you get the kids a guitar and like a drum yeah. set or something? And he's like, yeah, you know, so my brother, my, my brother and my dad, were like, okay, like we'll learn how to play guitar. This was like a couple years later. I think I was like 10, okay. 10, 11 years old. Um, yeah, I might have been 12. Sure. Yeah, it was like a few years later. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, all I had was like a drum pad and my parents would give me drum lessons and then I would go... I had a snare drum and a drum pad. Okay, And that's yeah, yeah. how I learned how to play drums. Um, so then they did work for this guy next door and um, my dad got a drum kit and all that stuff. So I started to, you know, to... to play, play around more, with that, yeah, yeah, play around more. But, but when I was a kid, um, third, fourth grade, my parents were like, okay, you got a good report card. Like, you know, do you want... You know, you know, do you want money? You know, they were just trying yeah, to become yeah. some reward and of my mom's like, What do you want to do? And I was like, I want to go to the record store. So my parents took me to Licorice Pizza and the first records I bought was AC D C Dirty Deeds Done <laughs> Dirt Cheap, yeah. Blondie the Tide is High single uh-huh. and I Come From the Land Down Under, Men at Work single. <laughs> Those are the first three records I bought. That's incredible. Yeah.
0: It's incredible that you had so you like you like you're a focused person, obviously. It, like, you're just, you With had certain this, things, yeah. <laughs>
1: right. With certain things, other things, I'm a, ask my girlfriend. I'm like,
0: right. like, all over the place. But you're just like the, to to have the wherewithal to be like, yeah, gonna, i I want to go to the record store and yeah. pick up some stuff.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I was in third grade and got all that stuff. Um, fourth grade, I remember for a report card, my parents. I was obsessed with Adamant. Obsessed with Adam Ant when yeah. I was in fourth grade, and Def Leppard. Those were my. How two are ones. you? How was this stuff getting MTV. into your head?
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah,
1: like my parents like finally got cable, and I was like, oh my god! Like you know, MTV was around, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, I was just whenever consuming it, consuming it. Yeah. it. Whenever my parents like weren't watching TV, I was watching MTV, or I was in my room listening to records, and like buying like Cream magazine and sure. all these like. You
0: couldn't get enough. Imp- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And then I remember. Um, I got a good report card. My mom took me to um, Licorice Pizza again. And I got, um, I remember getting Pyromania by Def Leppard and Kings Mm. of the Wild Frontier by Adamant. And I was obsessed with Adamant. And I remember it came with like a thing to join a fan club. Oh, sure. So my mom helped me send the thing. So I sent the Adamant fan club thing and like two months later got like a... Autograph Welcome photo yeah, yeah yeah A bumper sticker A button Like a letter Like all this stuff Stickers An iron on patch Like I was so stoked Oh man Um
0: It's it, It's The The concept of like Your parent Like I'm sure your parents Were just Were stoked That you were into something Cause that's essentially yeah. What parents want Yeah so like identify their kids passion and just be like, All right, let's let's foster this somehow. Yeah.
1: And that was the same thing with my brother. I mean, yeah. he was super into music. I'm sure you guys I just, was I mean, into you, music you, and that's why we're so close. I mean right. we've always just been super into music and sure. that's just been our thing. Right. Um and yeah, I remember taking the record to show and tell for school. Like, hey, and my teacher's like, okay, like, and I remember playing Rock of Ages like in show and tell
0: in fourth that's grade. So good. I love it. Kids are bringing like their, you know, their teddy bear, their baseball yeah. battle, whatever. You're like, here's a record.
1: Yeah, and it was cool because I had a couple friends that were like into like you know heavy metal, and that's how I started finding out about Maiden and Judas Priest and Motley Crue right, right. and like all these bands and. Um, Yeah, and that was like kind of how I started my obsession with music. And my parents were always really, really awesome about it. That's cool. To me and my brother. Like they were just always, um, oh God, I remember the coolest thing that my parents used to do, let us do. So... Um, MTV used to have this thing called Friday Night Video Fights, where okay. they would play two videos, and you mm-hmm. would call in to vote to
0: vote for which one. And my so
1: dad. my dad was like, "Okay, like you each get one call." So we each got to like vote on like our favorite video. And I remember when Def Leppard was up there, and my brother was a big Quiet Riot fan, oh. so he was Quiet Riot. I was Def Leppard, and, and the video thing came up, you know, yeah. to fight against those two bands, and um, it was a household war. Household a war. <laughs> I just, imagine, <laughs> you, I just imagine you and your brother looking at each other
0: being like, oh, dude, oh so it's gonna on win? now. Who's going to win?
1: <laughs> yeah, so my brother and I were like super, always grew up super close it's cool. we were just so into music. That was our yeah. thing. You know? It's
0: cool that, to hear that, like I said, that your parents like, because you're, uh, I mean, Hispanic, correct? Yeah, like, yeah. And so it's like the the concept of their children being into something that, you know, by all intent and purposes is, is foreign to them. Yeah. Like, I mean, they yeah. have an understanding of it just because of what yeah. you're getting into, but... For like you know, in Hispanic culture, it's you, the moment that your kid starts to you know kind of stray away from like what is familiar. Yeah, it's a scary thought, even yeah. more so than you know your typical sort of you know white experience. So yeah, to speak. I
1: mean, my parents like I mean the thing is with my parents like you know just growing up Mexican family. Like right. my dad uh, was born in Mexico, moved here when he was like ten. Mm-hmm. Um... And the thing is, like, music was just always a big part of, like, my, you know, my mom's side and my dad's side. Like, my grandma was always singing. My grandma was always playing sure, records. Sure. You know, there's always dancing.
0: You so, know. like, even though they didn't know what it, it was, it was music, so it was comfortable. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. so
1: there was just, like, uh, you know, musicians in my family, like, down in Mexico, like, um, where the town where my dad's from, like... Folks in my family uh, are in this famous Mexican um, uh, band called, Uh uh, you know, uh, this guy uh, Cruz Lizarga. Okay. And he's just like a famous, like... Mexican folk musician, like nice. f- you know, from the fifties and sixties, and sure. his son and family like still carry on like the band, and and some of my relatives are in that band. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. there's just always been kind of like the music thing yeah, that's going right. it's on,
0: the strand in your DNA. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: So exact it's exactly what you said. I mean, it's kind of something that even though my parents didn't get it, mm-hmm. they kind of understood that it was just music, and that was you know, right. like when I would do something bad, my parents wouldn't say like no TV or no Know, they, they would literally take my records away Ooh, yeah, yeah crushing blood it was so oh god i remember <laughs> i got a horrible this is seventh and eighth grade i really started diving like just head first into punk and hardcore and you know right. just oh, i became so obsessed with it like i just didn't even care about yeah school my thing was like going to the record store and after school and just hanging out there and learning reading album covers and looking sure. at record credits and that was my homework, that was what I was obsessed with, and my parents, I got horrible grades in seventh and eighth grade, and they would just take my records away, and one day I found out where they hid them, so I would take like four or five records out, and i hide them under my mattress, so when they weren't around, I could like listen to them. Yeah, because you're like, notice.
0: they're not taking inventory.
1: Yeah. They don't know what yeah. I have. They just knew that, you know, they just, <laughs> there's a pile of records, they didn't know like four or five were missing, you know? Right,
0: right, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then so then as you started to dive into you know punk and, and hardcore and stuff like that because was was in broken unbroken by all intent and purposes like your first band? No my okay first band ever
1: was this band called caustic Humor. okay um, it was uh, me, uh, my friend Chris's little brother and this other kid Martin mm-hmm. and all these guys were dudes I hung out with because they all lived by my grandma's house, um, the other end of Chula Vista. Okay. And my grandma lives, and all these guys kind of lived around that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so I used to hang out with them, go skating, and and we decided to start a band. Um, We used to practice here in the garage. Okay. um, You played drums, I presume? Yeah, I played drums. Yeah, the band was, like, you know, we were, like, super into, like... Mentors, Gigi oh, Allen, sure, Circle sure. Jerks. I mean, we never did anything crazy, but that yeah. was just like you know we were just that was those, the
0: inspiration point. Yeah, yeah, we right. were just
1: kind of into those bands, had dumb lyrics, but like it's funny. I'll never forget. There's the most <laughs> amazing flyer for this show that we played in Chula Vista. It's no for an answer, inside out, hard stance, uh, reason to believe, caustic humor. <laughs> You guys are just like, hey, here we are. Yeah, we, and we were terrible. I mean, we were like all in junior high, like sure. ninth
0: grade. And yeah. No business playing that show.
1: Yeah, no business playing that show whatsoever. But the thing is, is that a friend of mine had access to this venue. He was like, oh, we need a band to open. Do you guys want to open? We're like, sure. sure and I, to... I was stoked because I liked all these bands, but we were like such a sore thumb but yeah we played like the craziest shows like
0: yeah we, just cuz your friend had access to that you're yeah, like sure yeah and yeah. we a local opener
1: yeah we were a local <laughs> opener for a lot of like funny bands i mean we played with like you know amenity and chain of strength like you know that's and that's how i got to meet like a lot of
0: those yeah people. i'm sure that's how your community because you guys were obviously so young was it was there like a novelty factor oh, with yeah. the bands that were just oh, like yeah. who who's this Look at little Rob over there. Like Yeah, was,
1: pretty much, yeah. I mean Who's this little Mexican kid over yeah, there? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I mean we got to play with, you know, um Cringer and Sticky and uh Crimshine, like a bunch of the Lookout bands. Right, and, right. Um, uh, that's how I met like Chris Dodge who ended up doing Slap A Ham Records. Right, it's, right. um uh, how I met, you know, Cringer turned into J Church, you know, Lance and all those people. It's how right. I met a lot of those people. Because, you know, we were just these young little, you know, 8th, ninth grade kids playing in this horrible punk band. Right. But people were just cool and just gave us a chance to play all kinds of shows. Right, and it was great. My dad would like load up his construction truck with all our gear, drop us off, and then after the show, come pick us up and take all the gear.
0: That's so cool. I love. I I just. I. I love (laughs) the context in which that's in, where it's just like, yeah, they're the. Because I mean, it's like you can see just the idea of like bands being like, what are are these kids doing? And just like, oh, like, that's cool. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll accept that. Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much.
0: (laughs) And so as you started to uh, matriculate through high school, um, like, so did, I presume that, you know, music was still, like, the focal point school was, like, whatever, and you were just kind of, like, giving it lip service? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: floating through high school and, you know, just, you know, ditching school because, you know, whatever. Like, I remember... Oh, like there's a show on Friday, like, you know, Chanin and instead are playing uh spankies in Riverside. Riverside sure. So we would like ditch school like at noon and then like just drive Animal up out
0: there sure. and tell
1: my parents, Oh, I'm gonna stay at so and so's house or we're gonna go skating and we, like they didn't know and like we were just up in Riverside. Like um they did yeah. the same thing, like uh, you know, Judge and uh and oh god,
0: some yeah. other bands
1: <laughs> played the country club, um in Reseda, Reseda, sure. And, and my parents were out of town and I was supposed to be watching my brother, but yeah. I was like, oh, you need to stay at grandma's house. And, and I took the car with a boatload of friends and my brother was so <laughs> mad the next day when he found out we went to judge because he was like, why did you guys go? Like, right. I'm going to you- tell. And they were playing the next day at my friend's garage, judge okay. was. And so we were like, I was like, man, I just had the wherewithal to know that if something happened, mm-hmm. I would get it ten times worse if he was with us.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. So That's I true. just
1: knew, like, it's like now he understood, but back then he was mad at me forever, and he threatened all the time to tell on me that for taking the car to L.A. and it was, and I all I had was a learner's permit. Oh, dude. dude. Yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: I had only had that for like six months, and I was driving to L.A. to L.A. with yeah. the Thomas Brothers guide. Like, this is how we get to the.
0: The country club. Right. Like, hey, hey, Navigator, Like, let's yeah. see if we can piece this together. Yeah,
1: well, I knew how to read them because growing up with my dad, like doing construction, when he had a job, he yeah, was driving whatever, all over. He was driving all over, so he had a Thomas Brothers and taught me how to read a Thomas Brothers guide. So that I knew how to map out. Yeah. So we went to a gas station, bought one for LA, figured out how to get to the country club.
0: It's so good. So yeah. good. I love that. I love that your mentality with your brothers basically just like, uh, just this this will be better in the long run. Yeah, you don't understand it now, yeah. but this will be better.
1: And you got to see Judge the next day in a garage. Yeah, you're fine with you're fine. Chain and some other, th- and that you know,
0: so right, whatever, yeah, it, was it was better. It balanced out <laughs> the uh, it's, so had you graduated high school by the time that Unbroken started to exist? No, okay, no. that was like I didn't play in
1: any bands, like I was just like kind of messing around with friends, you know, right. playing in random things here and there, and mm-hmm. um, and then just out of high school. Um yeah, I'd met a few of the guys. Um like I met uh a friend of ours, Angela introduced me to Todd and Eric. Okay. Um, met them at Earth Day, and Angela I had seen around through shows, and she was like, oh, hey, what's up? And, you know, these are my friends, Todd and Eric. And, sure. And, and it was funny, because <clears throat> actually, Earth Day was the day Judge was playing a, a garage. Okay. That same, I, so I met them all that same weekend. Right. And I said, hey, Judge is playing uh, my friend's garage, and, and they didn't have a car, and they were like, how the hell are we going to get down to Chula Vista? you like,
0: I can, a... I can help you. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I should have. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, and like okay, and so I kind of met them, and then started seeing them around at, at various shows here and there, and um, sure. yeah, and
0: and you, you you actually you graduated high school though, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I'd already graduated high school, <laughs> and so was your time. was your father kind of expecting you to be like, hey, like you can come work with me? Like, did you have no? Any... My
1: dad kind of he said told us at an early age he wanted us to work with him all the time, mm-hmm. so we would try to find something else to do. Sure. And he, they always wanted better for us, and you know, mm. like most parents, you know, they want,
0: want better for their kids. They want better
1: for their kids, and so he, you know, had that mentality, and and so I. Got a job silkscreening right out of high school. Okay. I went to ROP and learned how to silkscreen. screen and sure, sure. So I would make all kinds of cool shirts, like Turning Point shirts. I would make all these like cool shirts, yeah. like for us and all our friends. And It's funny; I still have all the film from the shirts that I made. back yeah, All, the, all the, the bootleg shirts. Here. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd make like two or three of them just for my, of course, or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. You know, I started working. I was working at a silk screen shop and, and, you know, doing that stuff. And, you know, my dad was happy because I found a job, like, right sure. after high school. And, um, but, yeah, I started doing <clears throat> the broken and working random jobs. Silk screen place. I worked for an airline travel agency delivering tickets all over San Diego. Like Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. When that yeah. was a thing, right, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. It was a thing before people, like, could just book online you yeah, book yeah online exactly yeah, yeah. so people were like okay and <clears throat> yeah so they gave me a company car and I would just drive around, just drive like, around. all over San Diego delivering airline tickets and
0: was was the intention like when you because obviously it's like you know since this is the you know late 80s early 90s like the the, the concept of, of touring and all of that was still such a fresh oh, idea I
1: so couldn't like, even believe like I couldn't even wrap my head I never thought in my life I would ever tour right like if we could get a show we were stoked let okay. alone play like LA or something was was just yeah. like oh my god that we have was a like unachievable right LA. huge right. huge right and so yeah we just couldn't believe it but you know through like obviously like the black flag tour route, the tra- trailblazing thing. And sure, you know, reading like Rollins books and <clears> stuff <throat> like that, like reading that stuff as I got older, like you see what it took to do those tours. And totally. you know, you don't know how much is exaggerated, how much is there, but you know, it's tough. It's not easy. So of course. to even think like, can we ever like tour? Right. Cause
0: you, I mean, you, you guys, you guys didn't have any ambitions besides like the, it's so I always like to equate it like the next step philosophy where yeah. it's like Let's play a show Let's do a demo yeah. Like it's always that Next yeah. step As opposed to like Oh let's yeah. get here
1: Yeah I mean And even if we th- Even if we put out A seven inch Or an LP Like was unfathomable Like <laughs> Right We were just like oh, Who would book us How do you even do this Like right. You know How does this work You know And so I mean thankfully Like bands like Amenity sure. Like were able to do it And that was so Inspirational to us Like wow Amenity was able to Tour the US And they, that's how You know They met You know All the judge And GB All the New York people, and that's how they met the Seattle people, like Ron Brotherhood and some of the Undertale guys when they were little kids, like they were all their age. Um, and that's how, like, amenity was responsible for kind of starting to form a lot of these connections that I ended up later, right? Kind of coming being across, able to utilize, being right, able to right. Utilize.
0: And so, well, in San Diego too, like, it was always it's always funny just because San Diego is always like it's not it, it's it's referenced now, obvi- like now, obviously in the context of independent music because so much has come out of it. But it's I imagine at the time it was just like San Diego, like, where is that? It's not Orange County or LA, like, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's kind of was like, don't they have a zoo? Like that was kind of. The <laughs> Isn't that extent. where SeaWorld World is? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the extent of what San Diego was. And I mean, to a large part, I guess it still is to like the general public. But now sure. people kind of know, you know, know what the city is. But right, yeah. So the con, the the, the trying to wrap your head around even leaving San Diego <laughs> to play a show was just un- unfathomable. Right, like, right. You're just like, wow, I can go somewhere and right, and I'll never forget. Like you know, we. Sent a demo to Hartsfield. It's terrible. Right. Terrible. <laughs> like, it's unlistenable. Unlistenable, right, right. It is unlistenable. We had a different singer at the time. And and then somehow, like, we played a show with, like, Strife and some other bands. They came down, and those dudes were like, yeah, like, Mike really likes you guys. Like, if you have a good show, like, he might want to put you out. And we were like, what? Whoa. Like, he wants to put a seven-inch out. So we were, like, we were just tripping out. So we played a show and Mike was like, Yeah, I think I wanna work with you guys, like, you know, I'll be in like let me call you in a couple of weeks and sure enough, like a week or so later he he called me and Yeah. I was like, I wanna do seven inch, like book some you know, let's try to book some studio time, like write some songs, you know, whatever. Right, right. And so and then he got us on the It's for Life comp, then got us, you know, to time to book <clears> seven inch and Sure and and but what happened was is in between like getting that offer like our singer that we had kind of started just disappearing like sure. he was dating some girl like
0: yeah and he Couldn't was just like him. Right. yeah
1: and so we're just like oh i don't know what we're going to do and dave was was in the military at the time he was like at the tail end of being out of the navy and okay um he was like a year or two older than us, mm-hmm. um, and he, we knew him from just being around shows, and we we're like, oh, he's a cool dude. Like, let's see if he wants to sing. Sure, and he's like, okay, cool. But and
0: he had never, because he had
1: never. Yeah, he used to be in that band called Round Two. Oh, okay. okay on the yeah. Voice of Thousands. Voice of thousands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he was in that band. Okay. So we kind of knew, like, well, he was a They're like, okay, he could, yeah, he, kinda, he, sang, he, like, he could he sing. He's saying he can keep a tempo. Like that's what matters. Right. It's true and so uh, so yeah we we came to practice from like, yeah, okay, like he sounds great, like let's go for it, so that's sure that's yeah, that that was
0: how it got put together, yeah, and thankfully, it did, it just worked out for the better, totally you know? and so we, I mean, as you guys obviously started to you know exist and put out records and tour and stuff like that, um was it was it one of those things where you know, did it ever Hit you guys because I mean you, you never made a living off of it like you you were I mean yeah. you basically you toured and then you got jobs in between tours
1: yeah right? exactly or you had a, you were lucky that had a job that let you go on tour right. or you just didn't work and whatever money you made you kind of scrounged you know right
0: you're like yo I got five hundred dollars
1: for two months like, yeah yeah that was literally what me, it was let me like, figure this out I mean the first tour we all came home broke. Um, because... As
0: you should, your first tour,
1: right? I mean, well, every show, I mean, I, I don't know, we had this itinerary, and we were just so naive, like, okay, this says, like, here's where we're touring, and we'd show up, and they would be like, oh, I can't pay you, but... Here's a, a couple cases of beer, and we're like, well, we're straight like, What are we going to do with this? And the guy literally said, oh, just sell it to the kids for, like, a buck or two a can. They'll buy it off you because that's the only way they can get booze. And we're just like – Like,
0: that really goes against what we're doing. Yeah,
1: we were like – "This." So we, like, went to a Denny's. This was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Sure. And we met – we went to Denny's, and we were just, like, talking. Like, what should we do? Like, us yeah. and the mean season guys and – we're like fuck it, let's get out of here. So we just drove, like we just left. Just didn't
0: even play. Yeah, just see just you later. Left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: we just took off. Right. And uh yeah, I mean, in other show venues, we'd show up and they'd be like, "There's no show here." Like, you know, we don't do shows on Wednesday. Like, who is right. this person? Like,
0: right. So they don't work here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh. I don't know. This guy Dan, I can't remember his last name, but he <laughs> did the tour, and we were just like, yeah. and then he wanted to get paid after, and we were like, "Are you kidding me, dude?" Right. Like. There's like nothing half, to pay you for. Yeah, like half the shows like weren't even, like we'd show up. Like ABC No Rio was like, there's no show here. Like we don't do shows on this day. Like, yeah. you know, today's finger painting day. And there was like, and they even said like, you guys should get out of here. It gets kind of dodgy at night. And we were like,
0: Fuck. You're like, rad. Glad we're yeah. across the country on this. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, and yeah.
1: some shows, there were legitimate shows. Of and, course. You know, and other shows. Like, yeah. was, I would say, I think there was like 30 shows booked in about 10 of them were just came like through right no a little oh, more t- than okay. that. about 10 okay. of them were just kind of like bust. these like yeah, bus yeah. like no show where the venue was just closed or didn't exist and right. we were just like
0: well yeah, 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 yeah what
1: the hell you know
0: right right did you ever feel like you know towards the tail end like did it uh did it ever feel like think like things or kids that were going to shows were identifying with what you were doing like you know did it start to become feel like more real to you guys as far as like a general perception of yeah what...
1: it, it felt real on our second u.s tour in some places sure because we show up and like kids were like starting to want to talk to us about morrissey and they had like pompadours and they were dressing different right and um a little bit and was that so...
0: was that weird to see like something because obviously it's like to put it in context, like clear like the, the internet didn't exist back then. Yeah. It, or I mean, it's in its infancy stages, and yeah, not yeah, so yeah. where kids could ape a style from what you guys were doing beyond what they see in the liner notes. Yeah. And so, like, was that weird to have it like reflected it was weird back at you? Because the
1: first tour, like, literally every people were making fun of us. Like, people were just like, "Why do you dress like that? Like, you're not like, how is this hardcore? Like, why are you guys dress? Like, people would literally ask like. Like, are you guys hardcore? Like, into hardcore? Like, why do you dress this way? Like, literally, that's what people would ask. And, right. And we were just like, I don't know. It's how we dress. Like, right, that's You know. And yeah, yeah. And then so, in 94, there was a couple kids, like you saw, and then we made some great contacts, and I ended up booking the second tour, um, and a couple of the guys in the undertow like, helped out, mm-hmm. and, um, and some of the kids that we became close with, who we're still friends with today, like you see, you know, they were kind of starting to dress a little different. Sure. And then by the time we went out in '95, it was so strange to see like kids actually starting to identify and kids actually saying things about the lyrics and 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 starting to get it because before people were literally just
0: like, "What? Yeah, is this is an alien form that's exist- yeah. Yeah, 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 like, what do these lyrics
1: mean? Like, why are you why do you dress this way? Why do you talk about these types of bands? Like." You know, do you guys even listen to hardcore? I mean, those were the, literally the questions we would get. Right. And in Europe, it really struck a chord because when we went over there for the first time, everything kind of had already been out for a while. hmm And it was insane to go there. And just the emotion that kids... We're putting into we're putting into it was very like instantaneous. Right, it was it was really was it was it hostile
0: for you guys ever as far as like people coming up to you and having that sort of like confrontational attitude of like people
1: were were never confrontational. They they were were just like what is happening. Yeah, people were very confused and didn't get it, and then would just like would make fun of us. But they would they were never like. Let's fight because right, let's you look stupid, Let's fight because right? you look stupid. I mean, of course, like, the random hick driving down the road. I mean right, right. right, right. You would say shit, whatever. Because that happens all the time anyway, regardless <laughs> yeah, yeah. of how you dress. But,
0: right.
1: you know, that type of stuff didn't change. But just, yeah, kids' attitudes went from, like, w- confusion to, like... Kind of understanding to like adaptation, like it sure, was very sure. strange to so be we like,
0: wow. Yeah, I it's can... like you see, you saw, you could trace the through line. Like yeah. you could be like, oh, here's these steps, and I see why it's happening. Especially
1: yeah. when we were touring because yeah. we, we did three tours around the country, so you saw every year sure. start to start to change and right um, and kids realize like, wow, I don't just have to talk about X go X. Like I can talk about emotions. I can talk about politics, I can talk about certain issues, and, sure. and I think people, and then ebullition started to become a
0: thing, and, and so right. I think... It gave, yeah, it gave, it gave more of a voice. Yeah. Obviously, since, like, you know, once Unbroken started to come to an end, like, was it one of those things where you were kind of, you were uh, terrified to, like, start real life, quote-unquote, as far as, like, like, oh, like, I guess I gotta enter the working world, like, what do I got, like, no, Where did your... I mean, I don't think
1: it was terrified, I just, mm-hmm. like, to be honest, I just wanted a break yeah, from music and I know Steve and I kind of started Kill Holiday towards the end of right. Unbroken and, and even that like I was like oh you know first 7 inch was cool and then we started writing other stuff and I was like I'm not into this and mm-hmm. you know it just wasn't my thing right and um and, you know, parted ways with that band, and and I was like, "What am I going to do?" And so I kind of just took a break from music and just kind of worked random jobs and sure, just you know, lived. Yeah, yeah. I just lived. like did random things and you know went you know started. I was already going to a lot of goth clubs mm-hmm. by that point. Like I started going like ninety two, ninety three, like pretty heavily mm-hmm. to those types of clubs. Excuse me. Yeah, that's and um, so I just started going to more and more like goth clubs and shows and right. started a goth night and you know in the late 90s and just was DJing that and right uh that was the type of stuff I was just really involved in so mm-hmm. I was like well I've always loved this music and now I have time to like try to do a goth club so I did a goth club for like two or three years and nice yeah it was super fun and
0: uh it was like one night a month sort of thing yeah it was, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a Saturday night once a month um yeah it was super fun
0: um, well, I, and I, I guess, I guess, yeah, the 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 idea of being terrified of like starting real life or whatever, like just because even though the band was all consuming, it wasn't like your you know source of income, so yeah. it wasn't like there's was this yeah. distinct like, oh my gosh, like what, what am I going to do to make now? a living? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It like it was, never,
1: doing that. it was never a source of income, so I was it was wasn't a fear of like what am I going to do now? It was like well. I love playing music, but right now I I, I want to take a break. So you know, every now and again, kind of start and stop little things with friends, and it just stuff that never got off the ground. Or I just I'm not into this right now. Like right. I'm just I just want to go to goth clubs, you know, and and do I just my wanna, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just want to have fun and go to Britpop clubs and you know just do that thing and go to shows. And so yeah, I would go to shows and I w- I was still booking shows like you know like Saves the Day and Bane were on tour. I booked their show and, you know, I was booking, you know, Jimmy World and Get Up Kids and right. Ink and Dagger and Botch. You know, yeah. whoever's coming through, Whoever's sure. coming through, people would hit me up and I was still booking shows. I was still involved, but I was just more, I didn't feel like playing music at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so that the, the, you know, kind of what we were alluding to in some of our earlier conversations was, you know, as far as like the live music experience and still like getting that, like, getting that rush of like Mm -hmm. oh this is why i I participate in this um it's hard to still care like as you grow older because it takes more and more i mean i don't know if you notice this but it takes more effort to not even just like stay with it to be like oh here's the latest and greatest band but just to like like you said dedicate that time to be like i'm going to do this you know months in advance because it's important or whatever um you know did you ever have a point where you were like the idea of being like, oh I like I wanna be even farther removed from this. Like, you know, how did that all sort of that, mix around in your head? Yeah, that I mean
1: that kinda of happened after some girls. Like I you know, I did over my dead body and I yep. was fun and I left that to start doing some girls. And then like as soon as I recorded my guitar parts for the album on Epitaph, I had to move to Seattle. Right. Uh for a job and I, I couldn't really continue on and they wanted to go more full time and I was like, well then just get another guitar player and yeah. it is what it is, you know. And so at that point I really took a break for three years. I didn't want to play music. I wanted sure. I sold everything but my bass. Um and all I wanted to do was just uh you know, listen to music and I would go to shows, but that was kind of the extent, you know, and, right. um, and yeah, I would, I still mellow to records to this day. Like I, you know, yeah. I don't keep up on everything cause I just don't have time, but I still know a lot about modern hardcore bands and I still, you know, keep up on, on, you know, trying what's to buy happening. records when I can. <clears throat> yeah. Right. And what's happening in general. And, you know, there's some, you know, great local bands that are going, you know, that are, that are present and. And uh Is that... it
0: so you feel like that's just out of like your own desire and need to like find stuff in general, or is it just like out of habit? Like, you know, where does that <laughs> I, that's a great question. Yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. know.
1: I, I it's probably a little bit of everything. I think sure. part of it I feel part of it I feel I'm generally interested and I wanna yeah. hear what people are doing and so I still buy records and you know, right. um and so that's that part of its habit. Like I just like collecting records so it's just a habit to continue to buy vinyl of bands that I like right. and then part of it is mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know why I guess I just feel this mild obligation to support and so I um, will help out and right you stay connected record. right? I, so I stay connected to the scene on some level I mean, and I still, you know, every now and again, we'll go to a show, but I, again, like we talked about, it's not something that I can commit any time to because I, I just have so many other things going on that, that I want to, that I want in my life that I feel that, hey, at least I bought a record or at least I'm still mail ordering things and, you know. Right,
0: right, right. And, yeah. There's that, there's that connectivity, like no matter, you know, no matter what, like it, it, some of the feedback that I've gotten on this particular, you know, podcast is the fact that people people like this medium because it makes them feel connected. Yeah. They're like, "Oh, I'm working a day, you know, a day job I don't like or whatever. It's uh, and then I have to go home to take care of my family or whatever." Yeah. That this is like a connection and like buying records it like yeah, no matter how small it is, it's still a connection. Yeah. Because of all of the life obligations that yeah, get thrown that, on you. Exactly.
1: And that's exactly what it is. And, and I and I guess I never really asked myself why I still buy
0: records. And yeah. now that we're
1: dissecting it, I guess these are the three reasons why I still yeah. buy records. No,
0: for sure. Yeah. Um and the you know, because you have you've, you've been doing the same job for a while and like you've been, you know, you've been uh, settling into, you know, a, a domestic life so to speak. Obviously yeah. you're getting married next year. Has it been? Has it been strange for you to um, be so connected to something that is so youth-driven over time, and kind of like how how you feel like you fit within all of that, as far as that's concerned? Like, you know, someone someone will look at you and be like, "Oh, like you know, like that that what's I mean, even though you look young, yeah, like you what's you know, that old man doing." Like,
1: <laughs> like, yeah, and I guess that's why I don't go to shows. I guess because I get I'm despite sometimes being talkative once people get to know me like I'm very shy right. um, painfully shy like in, in such certain situations and I don't and so and I get really self-conscious of people saying like why is this old guy at this show like right, right. you know why is he here you know sure. I don't know and so that I guess is, is self-conscious to a point like I do feel that way mm-hmm. um but, uh, yeah, I, I, that's kind of what goes through my mind, I guess, and it is hard to, you know, how do you figure out to stay connected in and, and something that's, you know, somewhat youth-driven, but I don't know, I look at people, you know like, like Ian Mm -hmm. and, you know, and Henry and, and, and other people that, and people that we know, people like Jake and Trey and Matt Pike and, and all these people that we know, it's not just like these icons of punks but it's also people that we know and our peers. Um, you know, why do they stay connected? Because I think that it's a medium that is, will always be fascinating, whether it's Extremely fascinating or mildly fascinating. There's always something fascinating about hardcore. There's always going to be Every few years some new artwork that comes out. That's in- incredible to look at like look what the Touche shame guys are doing or, Totally, you know that type of thing. That's just like blows your mind Like this is an incredible layout like this isn't so complimentary to what those guys are doing, right? Um, there's that aspect of it. There's just also people that are creating music, you know, mm-hmm. like people like Nate and Jake and um, all, you know, and then, you know, Death Wish Label and, you know, people like Aram and all these other people that are just involved in music on different levels that are always doing something interesting that appears and why do we stay involved? And I think it's because it's a music that we identify with despite not being, you know, 20 years old. Right. It, it's exactly what we talked about earlier it might not be the most important thing in our life, but it's still important. Totally. It's still meaningful. So some of those ideals, they might be toned down a bit, sure. but it's still important. Yeah. And so, and I think that's why we identify um, with staying around and, and still being involved with music right. and, and all that, or booking
0: shows or whatever. Yeah. Whatever medium you're expressing. Cause it's true. I never thought about it from that perspective of it's like, these are, you know, the, the formative years of your life in high school and, you know, post high school where it's like, those are your building blocks and it's like it's always been strange for me to see people like you know completely you know uh askew everything that they were into in the past mm-hmm. like you know just basically re you know yeah. whatever uh, come up with another identity for themselves um because you know i mean there's there's an appealing notion of like oh like i'm starting from scratch like that stuff is yeah. meaning is meaningless to me now but those are the building blocks and it's like it's hard to get pulled so far away from it yeah you know but it, they all come back it's true <laughs> Yeah, that, like even if they do, you know, a person that is so connected will eventually, like you said, yeah, end up. They,
1: they all come back and that's why I've never shrugged it off because for me I never felt like, oh, this is just for kids. This is something I did when I was a kid. Right. Yeah, this is part of something right. of that I did when I was a kid and this is now part of something I do as an adult. I don't <laughs> – and some people I think get stunted because they never do anything else. And, that's and, true. and there's a lot of, you know, kind of adult babies out there, male and female, that totally. are just stunted because they've never done anything but hardcore. Right. And if that's how you choose to live your life, then great. But don't be surprised when you're working and you can't talk about anything but the pressing of this record and yeah. the show that you went to. And other people are just kind of like, I don't understand what that means. You totally. Know?
0: Um, that's such That's such an important point because it's like the... The encouragement like not only specifically within our subculture but culture in general it's like the you know the idea that you know you can play video games for 40 years of your life and like that's completely fine and tolerated i yeah. mean and, and not tolerated like yeah. saying it's a bad thing but it's like, like that's accepted right and it does it does it fosters that that stunted adolescence where it's yeah. like you're not forced to make these these decisions and like okay i have responsibilities and obligations yeah That are real And not just like Yeah I'm working at You know The local record store And like Yeah
1: And and again There's nothing wrong with that If that's what you want to do then, Then great I mean there's Nothing wrong with it But then you know Don't be surprised When you know You're you have nothing to talk about but that, and totally. I feel that in some aspects is 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 sad. But I mean, again, to each their own. I'm not here to yeah, yeah to yeah. say you know whatever. But well, I, it's I just, it's
0: li- it's limiting. It's very limiting. It doesn't contribute to your overall experience. Like the most valuable lessons that I learned in regards to like going to shows was the idea. It's like when you know vocalists and bands started to talk about the idea of like taking it outside. Yeah, we're preaching to the choir at yeah. this show. You are. Taking this out in the real world, living your life by whatever ethics you attribute to yourself or even just the DIY mentality, which obviously it's a much larger conversation now. But taking it out into the world and learning how to apply that to your life, like that's way more meaningful than going to, you know, 20 shows in a month or whatever. Yeah. It's so that's all you go you to experience.
1: Exactly and I and it's I just feel that if you take it outside of the hardcore arena, then you actually have the chance of having a more meaningful impact. You might come across someone that doesn't know about certain things and might get interested or or whatever the case is but mm-hmm. but that's exactly it. I just feel that sometimes people get stunted because they don't move out of that arena mm-hmm. um, on on any level, not just like. Yeah, you you know society as a general, but just on any level, and it's just that it's kind of weird to me, I guess. Right, Um, you know, where I don't think I'm I'm better than anyone because I've done certain things in my life or whatever. It's just to each their own, and if that's how you choose to live your life, like don't be surprised when eventually, you know, your the only people you hang out with are these 19 year old kids and 20 year old kids, and what what do you have in common with them besides music? Totally. This kind of idealistic point of view of the world, and the world is not perfect, and it's not idealistic, and it's a mean place on on some levels. And right. if you just stay in this little safe environment, I don't feel that you're equipped to handle what is really out here.
0: Yeah, no, no, it's it's a, such a with with age comes obviously perspective, and it's difficult for a seventeen year old person to like comprehend that. But it's like the <clears throat> there can be there can be lessons learned on where it's like okay, like I I don't have to be this like this. I can be so focused on this, but I can also experience other things. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you don't you don't you don't have to cut yourself yeah. off.
1: Yeah, you don't have to. And then I also think the inverse that that is the mm-hmm. people, like you said earlier, they just completely cut themselves off and say, "This is something I did when I was a kid. It it doesn't mean anything to me. Or all that's kid stuff or whatever." Yes, yeah, some of it is kid stuff. Some right. of it is childish. I mean, that's just part of growing up, but. I also think, like you said, there's building blocks and there's connections and friendships that go deeper than what the music that was created and the art that was created um, to move forward in life. And I and it's always weird to me that these people just kind of disavow like hardcore right. if, as like kid stuff. And it's like, no, it, it really isn't. It's an artistic form of expression. It might have youth elements in it, so, but there's still learnings that you can take into your adult life. And it is still something that can have an impact to help you grow as a person always like Mm -hmm. you know and I, I just – I that that pisses me off actually more sure. than the people that, that kind of just stay stunted. I mean I find that kind of weird and sad on some level. Yes,
0: so, something that you don't identify with. Yeah, right?
1: but I also think the people that just disavow hardcore and just say, oh, that's something I did when I was a kid. It doesn't mean anything. Like how can you say that? Like the experiences you got are experiences that people will never have because they never got to see these bands or – dive off a stage in that manner, sing along and, and actually feel a part of, of somewhat of a movement. And, and so, yeah, that part always was upsetting to me. Yeah.
0: It rubs you the wrong way. Still, I can, I can tell even talking to you right now, like it's, it, it triggers that emotional response of just like, because you, you know, you yourself feel so protective over what it is that you've been involved in. And so it's like, when you see someone kind of, you know, crap all over it, there's that immediate, just like, Well, why, why are you doing that? Yeah.
1: And it's not just crap on it and the, you left and came back It's you know, crapping on whether it's, you know, people that are still involved in it and making fun of those people or whatever. I mean, that part, it's just, yeah, really, really rubs me the wrong way. Right. 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 Yeah.
0: It's, it's, I think a lot of that is just out of like people's own insecurities in regards to like, if they decide to, you know, whatever, leave and, you know, drop that as, as kid stuff. Um, the the implications of whatever they're moving on to is supposed to be quote unquote better and a more yeah. like oh like an adult experience or whatever and then they look back on their that that ex- that experience that they've left you know independent music for and they're kind of like oh wait a minute like that was pretty important but I can't yeah I can't say that yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah uh and the the uh the last thing i I wanted to bring up was the um the notion of obviously like you know being you know a a minority in hardcore like Mm -hmm. in in independent music in general so so much of it obviously is is i mean not only male driven but white male driven and did you ever experience those uh not even so much, like, you know, racism or judgment or anything from that, um, but was it, you know, pretty apparent to you pretty quickly, like, where it was all kind of, you know, where where everything sat, where it's like, oh, yeah, this is is who goes to shows and, like...
1: No, I never thought about it because uh growing up in Southern California, especially San Diego, the shows were just always extremely mixed. I mean, there was, you know, Mexicans, Asians, other Latins, white people, black people. I mean, it was... Yeah. It was truly... Rainbow Coalition of Hardcore yeah, yeah. is what it was. I mean, was in San Diego especially, I mean, yeah, I'm sure like the bigger shows in the early 80s probably weren't that way but when I started coming mid to, coming around mid to late 80s, the shows definitely, you know, were starting to become a lot more mixed and I think, mm-hmm. um, uh, so down here, it never felt that way. Yeah. Like I never noticed it. I never noticed, I n- <laughs> it's funny, that same tour where we bailed to um, New Mexico, and we ended up in Tyler, Texas. Um, oh. Yeah. And it was really cool, awesome guy. I can't remember <laughs> his name off the top of my head. Maybe his name was Dan, but
0: yeah.
1: if you're listening to this, I apologize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, Dan, Tyler, Texas. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. But he really, or maybe it was Derek. I don't know. But he really, really nice guy. Um, he booked shows, um, you know, so we, we actually had a show, Us, Mean Season, and Earth Crisis. And this was the first time we met those kids. Really cool dudes. Um, and so we were all kind of out and about in the town before the show. Kind of you know went to Taco Bell, and sure. cause that's the one's what place you do right? you can get veggie stuff or whatever on tour. Right. Um, but I remember specifically um, in Tyler, Texas, two things that and where it hit me like, wow, the rest of the world isn't like California. Like mm-hmm. I, that it was like it hit me like a ton of bricks because sure. there was a sign in a gas station. Like I went to go pay for the gas. There was a sign in the gas station that said, "If you're black or brown, and the sun goes down, we don't want to see your ass around." And I was like, "Holy fuck!" Wow! Like yeah. I was like shocked, like right, like and then I was like mortified, like giving the guy the gas money, and then we, uh, me and um, this guy John from, he was a roadie from Mean Season, we walking back to the 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 two vans to fill up the cars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this hick truck with a gun racket whole bit two dudes and a girl drive by and like you know faggot you know right of course we flip them off and then they turn back around they want to fight and then everyone piles out of the vans and they're like oh shit and then they just built. so that was
0: kind of the first and that and that happened all within like five minutes yeah within
1: a couple minutes of each other so it was just very like oh shit this is really weird and then you know we were hanging around tyler and the and the uh the Civic Center mm-hmm. there, the courthouse, had a plaque dedicated to the Confederate how proud they were that they had the largest Confederate army mm-hmm. contingency that side of the Mississippi. Okay. So we were just like, This is not the place for us. Like we all felt weird. Like right. it was Yeah,
0: it wasn't just you, the
1: rest yeah, yeah. Everyone was kinda of, whoa and then they started telling us, Oh yeah, they have clan rallies here and so we were just like that was the first time I felt like, wow, my scene isn't like other scenes and you know yeah, there's yeah. very interesting dynamics going on in other places and and that was the first time that you like yeah, then, you
0: noticed right and right. that
1: was the first time i noticed and then from it's weird but from every show on i kind of noticed like wow like i right i kind of open person here and it opened my eyes and it was like very strange to me like to be like wow i'm not right you know like there's no one else here but but me that's colored, you know. Right, right. And then right. it was like, um, so yeah, that was like kind of eye opening. To, sure. to like to see. Did it make that. Did it make you feel self conscious from that perspective? It or did. did you... It did. Sometimes, you know. Sure. But other times you
0: just don't care. You're just hanging out with hardcore kids. Of and, course, you know, right. It's here, about Yeah. Whatever. If you're in a safe environment, like you're not yeah. going to that immediate like, oh, what are my friends thinking? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah,
1: exactly. It wasn't like that where I was like. <laughs>
0: Right. On pins You're... and
1: needles every time I walked into a venue, but it was just very like it kind of like opened my eyes to like uh, a very interesting dynamic that was going on in other cities that yeah. that my city, you know, at least how I grew up didn't really have that. So it was it was interesting.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. I mean, I, I didn't really think about it from the perspective of, of of San Diego, and like obviously, it's like you know, I mean, being you know, ten minutes from the border, it's like that yeah. will clearly make a difference yeah. in the shows and yeah. in the cultural. Uh, a conversation that's happening around who is attending these shows. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like I could see where that that's it's awesome that you got to experience that in a positive light as opposed to like you know going to shows. Not to say that it was like it ever in yeah. Orange County or LA, yeah. but it's just like there's that element like of anybody who because essentially you you're you get into a subculture. And so you're you're a minority in a subculture, yeah. And like, the, yeah, it's like you're drilling down, yeah. I'm drilling like,
1: down like deep into like the the rabbit hole of like the subculture right. of like
0: right. And, you're, and, and then and then and then your straight <laughs> edge, and then there's another layer. There's yeah. another layer of like of yeah. of, of it
1: was like, already like punk, right? Hardcore, straight edge. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. You know, you're Mexican, further advancing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was just this like. Mm Yeah, how deep does the rabbit hole go? (laughs) Totally, went pretty deep.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out and doing this. This Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. It was great. I had a really good time. That's fun. Me too. Yeah. All right, so there we go. There's my conversation with Rob, and I just feel so lucky. I feel so lucky that this podcast has given enough credibility for me to be able to speak with certain people. Rob is fortunately a friend, and I've known him for a long time. But it's just so nice to be able to sit down with a person for an hour and just, just hash it out. Just have a lot of fun, discuss a lot of things, get into some comfortable and uncomfortable ideas. I, I relish the opportunity that I, I, I have with this. And it's because of you, the people who are downloading this thing and giving me feedback. I'm feeling very, uh, very appreciative. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to these people. And for you check it out and listen to me battle on for about an hour each week. So thank you very much. Our producer for this show as always is Tom Richfield. Visit propertyofzac.com, visit 100wordspodcast.com and next week Dave Verillion. he is the vocalist for botch legendary within the metal hardcore scene and uh yeah just so excited to bring that conversation because he was just a a great dude never met him before and was so excited to uh, just mix it up it was great so until next week be safe everybody